Now, it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linke. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. Hello and welcome. I am Dean Linky. Delighted to be with you for episode five of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast, where we again spend time with every level men and women of college soccer. And we do that yet again today. This week, we'll open with the focus on women's soccer, D3 women's soccer, and the role the NSCAA has played developing women's soccer and women's soccer coaches. And we will do that in style. Off the top, we will welcome the legendary Alice Ann Wilbur, who is the only coach the D3 William Smith Herons have ever known. She came into this season with a national record of 515 wins, two national championships, including one just a couple years ago. But just as important, she is the Women's College Membership Chair of the Advocacy Council for the NSCAA, and she breaks down that role as well as her number one ranking at the D3 level. From there, we bounce to Casey Brown, who was an original member of the NSCAA's 30 Under 30 program, recognizing 30 coaches, usually 15 men and 15 women, who are under the age of 30 and are blazing new trails of their own. And after three great years on the sideline with the NSCA's Nancy Feldman at Boston, she is now the head women's soccer coach of Holy Cross, and she tells us how the 30 Under 30 program helped her get there. Then we go to D2 and catch up with Chris Grassy, who has Charleston, West Virginia, again at number one in the D2 men's world after finishing second two years ago and in the Final Four last year. We hop over to Tyler, Texas, and join longtime Tyler Junior College community men's soccer coach Steve Clemens, a big personality who once again has Tyler atop the NSCAA's NJCAA national rankings and his team gearing up for another title. We'll get updates from Chad Waller covering men and women for the NAIA. And then we finish with a look at Division I soccer, visiting with Shelly Smith, who has South Carolina number five in the women's national rankings, and Bo Oshani, who led East Tennessee State to a 1-0 upset over then number one North Carolina in Chapel Hill just a couple weeks ago. You know, Bo played 12 years in Major League Soccer, but always wanted to coach in college soccer. He put in his time as an assistant at Wake Forest and Penn State, and now he leads ETSU. Finally, college soccer has never seen so much exposure on television. Chris Doran, my longtime broadcast partner on the Big Ten Network for men's soccer coverage, gives his take on college soccer, including its place in the landscape of the growth of our game. That translates into another big show, and we kick it off with D3 Women and William Smith head coach Alice Ann Wilbur after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. 
And we get things started with the only soccer coach William Smith has ever known. Alisan Wilbur built the Herons from the ground up into one of the most successful and widely respected programs in the nation. Along the way, she has solidified her place among the legendary names of collegiate soccer coaches, including winning the 1988 and 2013 National Championships. Coming into this season, Wilbur's career record with the Herons stands at 515-129-57. and And Alice Ann Wilbur joins me now. Alice Ann Wilbur, pleasure to have you on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, and here's the thing. You have been a dear friend to the NSCAA for quite some time. And in fact, if I recall, you became the first woman to win the Bill Jeffrey Award a couple years ago as well, right? Tell us what that meant. It was immensely moving. It was immensely flattering that, first of all, somebody thought to nominate me or that the work I'd been doing was worthy of the Bill Jeffrey Award and, and all the great recipients that came before me and, and since have come after. It's quite a company to be cast in. All right, I'm going to put you under some pressure here now because we just kind of laughed about it before we came on the air. But you've got a couple big roles with the NSCAA. I'm going to let you tell me (laughs) what those roles are, Alison, please. Well, as part of the recent restructuring of the NSCA, I am the Women's College Membership Chair of the Advocacy Council. And I think this is my third year. Um, That role has morphed a little bit as the restructuring path found its way. I would say. And I've been the D3 All-America chair for a number of years. All right. Incredible success at William Smith. Talk about what that program has meant to you. I mean, you started it. You built it from the ground up. Well, I've learned a lot in those 35 years. What it says to me when I look at where I started, where we are now, is it takes time. And today we live in a world where everybody wants something very quickly. And that's the culture that we live in, fast, fast, fast. But things that are worthwhile take time. And I certainly needed time to grow as a coach, um, to grow as a mentor. And I, I think I've been very fortunate that I've worked with some incredible young women and I've worked with some incredible staff and administrators. So, And I don't mind the hard work. And once it isn't hard, then it wouldn't be worth doing. Well, you're number one again now, and uh, I think you're going to tell me that doesn't mean anything right now, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You're number one. How are you feeling about that, Coach? <laughs> well, I think it, it matters most. It's too early to be number one. There's nowhere to go but down. You know, what matters is if if we're in the showdown at the end, I think, and anybody who's had that ranking or a high ranking knows what comes with that territory, and any team is going to give you their best game on the day. Nobody looks past you, so I think it puts more onus on both the, the players and the the coaching staff to really prepare that they're ready to give their best game, game after game after game. Well, you've been giving your best effort, as we just talked about, to the NSCAA, 28-year member, and as you said, 2013 elected to serve on the NSCAA Board of the Directors the women's college representative. I've heard you speak. Women's college soccer is important to you and supporting women athletics is important to you. Well, I I think that sports can teach young women an incredible amount of very important life skills. We all know that. But I think young women can find their voice. They can find their confidence. I came from pre-Title IX. I didn't have those opportunities. And I practiced a lot 
to run races against myself, to compete against myself, because that was the only opportunity I had. And so I'm so happy to be part of helping other females ha- have an opportunity that I didn't, I think, to grow and to shape themselves in significant ways. I love that. And in your role with the Advocacy Council, so everybody's clear, you're not just promoting D3 women's soccer. You're promoting all of college soccer, correct? Yes. I think the Advocacy Council is an initiative that was created because the NSCA is it's a membership group, and we are trying to create an avenue for the membership to have more voice, more leadership opportunities through this Advocacy Council. It hasn't been easy in the restructuring, and I think it hasn't been easy to convey what I think is an incredible opportunity for us, and, and I'll just talk about women's college coaches, for us to have more of a conduit to, for example, the NCA, or for our college services program, which you know each institution pays for to be able to say, we aren't quite happy with the way this award is is shaping up, or the number of teams, or the number of vigils that can get recognized. And so the Advocacy Council provides that opportunity for a membership voice, and it's up to us, and it's up to each college coach to utilize that opportunity. And I think also there are numbers of initiatives or concerns that are common to different membership groups. For example, the men's college group might have some of the same concerns that we do or high school girls what about the women's membership group so where we can collaborate I think this offers an opportunity for collaboration and perhaps to get something weightier accomplished excellent I love your discussion on inclusion I love your talk about collaboration and I love the fact that you also said yesterday that you're not afraid to be irreverent if you need to be talk about what you mean Well, irreverence can also lead to cynicism when you see things that just proceed along the same way that they always have. And why is that? And what's it take to have a different set of eyes or a different philosophy that might might possibly run counter to what has been the way? Maybe that's what I was meaning by my irreverency. <laughs> and that's okay, because that means things are perhaps getting done. I mean, along those lines, when you think about women in soccer, now Lynn Burling Manual, the first female CEO for the NSCAA, that's a big step as well, right? Yes, and surely it is. And, um, you know, when I when I first joined the NSCA, what did you tell me, 28 years ago? <laughs> I'll be honest, those conventions were very lonely because it was a male-predominant organization, way more men coaching in soccer at all levels than, than females. And I think in the ensuing years, there's been greater and greater presence and greater and greater effort to include female representation at all the different levels from professional to, to youth. So that, that's been pretty exciting. And certainly to see Lynn as now the CEO or Amanda Vanderwart as president, they can't get much better. I'm glad you mentioned inclusion because we are starting this program not with D1, but with you representing the number one team, D3 women. And obviously, the people that have been listening understand that you've got a much bigger platform as well in your role with the NSCAA. But that's one of the reasons why they wanted to bring this college soccer podcast is to cover every level every single week. And again, this week, we got Chris Grassy from Charleston 
at uh, West Virginia with the men's program. We got Steve Clement leading the Tyler Community Program in the junior college level. We've got NAIA updates. I mean, the NSCAA is inclusive to the fullest extent, right? Yeah, because each of us in our respective positions think that what we're doing is very important. And and certainly we want our institutions to think that what we're doing is very important. So it just builds from the ground level forward. There are a number of initiatives already. We're excited that we were able to create some momentum to institute expansion in the Scholar All-America number of teams. And by division, that's that news is going to be coming out very, very soon. We're really excited about that. And we have some other things that are involved uh, that we're talking about just within the college service programs of, of awards. I'll be on another call today, later, with Rob Keogh and Pat Madden in the D3 Women's Chair to look at making a connection call, kind of a regular thing for, for D3 women. we got some things in the hopper here. I absolutely love that. Now, I will say the one part where you're not inclusive is the part where you don't let too many people beat your team. You have been the NSCA National Coach of the Year in 87, 88, 91, 2008, 2013, that 2013 season. Season 23-1-0. and So make no mistake, when you get out on the soccer pitch, you're in it to win it, which I know all coaches are, but talk about that fighting spirit. What, what uh, Where'd you get that from, Coach? You know, I asked my – I don't know. I, I don't know, but – because I think as a child I was quite shy. So mm-hmm. I think I found myself in, in – you know, in gym class. That was the only place I had. So I learned to compete there. That was – my vehicle. I've always been a very focused person and the devil's in the detail and I know we work really hard on on details and I think any coach that is successful is going to say the same thing. This is not rocket science, but we like to complete compete, we like to get it right, we like to get better. I right, well coming up you've got Skidmore on your schedule in Saratoga Springs, New York, obviously, and uh, certainly looking forward to that game. With the details, the final question, can you win another national championship, and what do you got to do to win a national championship this year, Coach? That's a big question, Dean. <laughs> uh, you know, in my experience with Final Four and national championship, I always felt like three things needed to come together at the time. You had to be healthy, you had to play well, and you had to get a little bit of luck here or there. You know, I also think many of the teams that in D3 that win the, the national titles, they all seem to have at least one special player. And I don't know if every coach would agree on that or one player who's really hot and can help them get through the tournament. So there would be that part. Too, that remains to be seen. But there are a lot of good teams out there right now. And I think you could be talking to a number of coaches with this very same conversation. Alice Ann Wilbur has done so much for the NSCAA, so much for the college game, and obviously a power at William Smith, the number one team in the country right now in the recently released NSCAA rankings. So thrilled to be starting this week's program with you, Alice Ann Wilbur. Listen, thanks for all you do for the NSCAA, and good luck as you search for yet another national championship. Well, Thank you so much, Dean. This is fun. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. I want to thank Alice Ann Wilbur for starting the program, talking about her key role with the NSCAA representing 
women's college soccer at all levels and having great success as the number one team in the country at D3 level. Part of the initiatives a couple years ago was the NSCAA 30 Under 30 program. And one of the members of the first ever class of the 30 Under 30 program is Casey Brown. Got to know Casey Brown covering Boston U under Nancy Feldman, a legendary figure with the NSCAA. Casey Brown actually went back to Boston as the assistant coach the last couple years and now is the top person at Holy Cross. And she joins us now. Casey, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Dean, thanks so much. Pleasure being here. Coming off the comments from Alice Ann Wilbur, she has obviously been one of the trailblazers like Nancy Feldman for women's college soccer and for women in sports in general. The NSCAA has made women's soccer a priority, Casey. Yeah, it's been terrific. I mean, coming off of Alice Ann Wilbur and, and just, you know, members like herself, and I know I'm so humbled and thankful for her experiences and really the uh, the path she paved for young female coaches like myself. And we owe a lot to her and the Nancy Feldmans of the world that allow us to have such wonderful opportunities um, in the coaching profession. So she's been a a model to me as well. And so awesome to see her join this podcast as well. But uh, I'm very thankful for all that she's done. All right. Last week, Ian Barker, the director of coaching for the NSCAA, spoke quite a bit about the 30 under 30 program. 2013, I believe, was the first class. You were part of it. Talk about that experience, Casey. Yeah, that was such a wonderful opportunity for me. And I'm, again, so thankful for the NSCA for allowing me to be a part of something so special. And the biggest thing is just allowing a platform to really evolve my profession. And I owe a lot to that 30 Under 30 program. And, you know, from that, the relationships that I've been able to build with the mentors they assign you with, the various NSCA members, the different coaches, and even your fellow 30 Under 30 members who you pick each other's brain and just the conversations that you have it's it's incredibly valuable and I know it made me a better coach and it continues to do that and things I've learned from that program and the NSA formal education that they help support I feel very very fortunate to be where I am and to have had that experience for sure you were outstanding player at Boston the only three-time defender of the year in the America East Conference you went and did some work as assistant coach at LIU Brooklyn but you get the call from coach Feldman to come back to Boston as her assistant, what was that like? Honestly, dream come true. Dream come true. I mean, anyone uh, that's probably listening to this knows Nancy Feldman, and she is she's the best of the best. She's total class, and I had the experience to play for her, which was an amazing one. But having the experience to then work alongside her is very special. I mean, I credit everything to that and allowing me to be prepared to be a Division One head coach at the age of 28. So that's all Nancy. It was the things that I've learned, the details she puts in every single component that goes into that program. I just was a sponge and I soaked it up and worked hard, but I owe so much to her. That was an unbelievable experience for me that I will never forget. What about that year, 2006, when Boston made it in the top 10? Of course, you won three conference championships, but representing Boston in the NSCA top 10. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, those are memories that feel like yesterday, but then I go for a run and realize they weren't yesterday, uh, but they were special. We played you know, one thing at Boston University uh, as a player that I knew and continues to happen is we schedule some of the best teams in the country and being able to have that experience as a freshman being on the pitch and, and upsetting Santa Clara and you know beating BC and these huge games where you, it just it's really special it's the kind of things you, you don't forget and being able to put um, Boston University as a player on that 
stage of NCAA Top 10 is really special. Now, coming out of your playing days and doing the 30 under 30 and starting assistant coaching at LAU Brooklyn, we also realized you were a media star. I realized that covering your Boston games is part of the <laughs> NSCA Game of the Week. And with that, as part of NSCA TV, you produced the six components of training the elite female soccer player, which you can still find. Talk about uh, that process and why it was important to document that on film. Yeah, that was an unbelievable process. And again, I'm so thankful to the different NSCA members and members like yourself, Dean, who just allow me the, the platform and opportunity to be able to do things like that. But yeah, it was, it was it was cool. You know, I it stretches you as a coach. You know, I, I don't claim to ever have all the answers, and it's so humbling being a part of this membership to see all the fantastic coaches out there. But being able to have a platform and, and share some of your thoughts and, and put a piece together like that, so fortunate. It's very, very cool experience and uh, one I definitely enjoyed. So we'll have to think of a new series to come up with. <laughs> well, we will. But right now you've got the challenge ahead. You're now the head coach of the Holy Cross Women's Soccer Program. You basically got to start over. Rough season right now, which happens when you take over a new program. Talk about that transition, what you're learning, how you're dealing with some losses and the whole experience, Casey. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. But um, I've, I've really enjoyed every second. You certainly come in feeling prepared as, as that transition from an assistant coach to a head coach. And I felt like coming in, I had the tools to be successful. I never claimed to have every answer because that, that's just purely experience of being a head coach. So I'm, I'm learning those things on the fly, and it's been a great process. And, and I guess process is the key word here. And something with myself and how I feel philosophically, but something that we're sharing with the team and the program is I have the mentality that every day I want to be better. Every day I expect the players to get better, whether it's a weightlifting session, a film session, a technical area we're working on. I have to move this program forward every single day. We have to get better every day. So it's it's a process-oriented mindset. I'm just trying to move the dial forward every day. We have some very good players now and and trying to continue to evolve that. And, And the standard we have is is uh, a continual process, but we have high aspirations and, you know, we play in a very competitive um, Patriot League uh, mid-conference, uh, mid-major conference. And, uh, you know, I'm just, um, I'm so fortunate for the experience and I, I've become a better coach because of it. And uh, it's, been, it's been completely rewarding. And, you know, obviously you, you want some more W's on that side, but I know uh, with time that'll come. And uh, we're just trying to Keep it keep it one day at a time and, and move things forward. It won't get easy tonight. Actually face Marsha McDermott, a former president of the NSCAA and Army, and I know she's got great respect for you. You've got great respect for her. That's got to be kind of humbling as well when you see these coaches opposite you and you're going toe-to-toe. How about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty special. Uh, obviously, even just getting to travel to Army and facing Marsha. Marsha is someone, I mean, she is, t- talk about, you know, the Allison Ann Wilbers and the Nancy Feldman of the world, Marsha McDermott as well. Those are people you look up to. And, you know, the conversations I'm fortunate to have with Marsha on different sidelines recruiting, and she's been uh, another mentor to me, and she's been uh, so wonderful in this whole process and different advice and things like that. And it is, it, it gives you such perspective, Dean, you know, you're facing the, the sideline against such, you know, well-experienced coaches like that and just awesome. And yeah, it'll be a good match. Obviously, Armies, you can't doubt their uh, resilience and, and work rate. So it'll be a, a tough match, but uh, so, so humbling to be standing next to Marsha during this uh, experience. All right, you've got Army, Navy, Colgate, Brown, Lafayette, all important games. But come Absolutely. on, Wednesday, October 19, 
Boston <laughs> University, coming to Holy Cross, the Turnpike Trophy, the Purple Game. Tell me you've not been thinking a little bit about that, Casey Brown. You know, it's the biggest challenge has been trying to not think about that game because it's uh you know, people people love a good uh, drama behind any game, right? And I think as an alum, as someone who just came from working from that program, as a crosstown rival, it's uh, you know it gets it certainly gets hyped up. I'm just looking for a good game. I know the girls will get hyped for that one for sure, and uh, you know I can't deny that there won't be emotion behind it. But honestly, the biggest emotion is there's nothing but respect for that team, that program, for Nancy. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just told her me and her should just sit to the 50-yard line together and just have a cup of tea and enjoy the match. But I, <laughs> we both know better than that. But, no, it'll be a, it'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. But um, nothing but respect for that program and for Nancy. You played the game with passion. You played the game with spirit. Nancy brought that to you. You mentioned emotion. I mean, what are you going to do when she first shows up? You see her there. I mean, are you going to cry? Are you going to smile? Are you going to do both? What are you thinking? I don't even know. Just going to give her a big hug. I think the biggest thing is, and you talk about relationships and all these different experiences. Nancy's someone that I mentioned I played for, I work for. You talk about mentor, this and that. But when it comes down to it, Nancy is my friend. She's a really close friend of mine. And that, no matter what sideline we're on, will always be the case. So, you know, I got a lot of love for Nancy. We, uh, she's my, she's my good buddy. She's my friend. So, uh, a big hug and and yeah, just a, a deep breath and <laughs> enjoy the next ninety minutes. I guess covering your career for so long, I feel like I also remember you've got a phenomenal family with uh, strong roots in <laughs> Boston. Huge New England sports fans, and obviously exciting time with the Red Sox right now. But remind me about the your family support. Thanks so much. Yeah, I am. I am one lucky girl. Um, I mentioned obviously playing at BU, working there. I'm a I'm a Massachusetts girl. I'm from Natick, Mass, just outside of Boston, and, and honestly, in between Worcester, where Holy Cross is. So, in this game, it can it can take you a lot of different places. So I feel especially uh, humbled to be so close to where my family is, and they are the most supportive people. They're at all my games. Uh, my two brothers, my sister, my parents, they're at everything. I have such a great um, family tree and. They're they're diehard sports fans too, and they're athletes in my family as well. So so they get it. But I I love that they're along this journey with me. The wins, the losses, they're they're part of it all. So um, I'm just, I'm very very fortunate. Finally, along the ride for the journey, the NSCAA. You touched on it earlier, but we wrap with just asking you what that organization's meant to you, and, and particularly for such a young coach. Dean, it's it's amazing when you think about um, the experiences I've. I've had thus far, I owe so much to the NSCA in terms of the education I've got, the platform I've, I've been able to receive, the relationships, the 30 under 30 program. It, I am so humbled to be a part of this uh, membership and just to be a part of the everyday and, and seeing particularly how um, the female coaching in, in the female soccer game has evolved has been, it's been really cool to be a part of that ride. And uh, I don't ever take it for granted. And continue to, like everyone else, um, keep my eyes open, my ears open, and learn as much as possible. So uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm a big fan, Casey Brown, and I'll be pulling for <laughs> you at Holy Cross and be following your thanks career so for a long, long time. Yeah, thanks for being with us as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Terrific. Really appreciate it, Dean. Thanks for everything.
The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Moving out of D2, we start with women. Not much movement this week as Grand Valley State University. Last week, remember, we had their head coach, Jeff Hostler, continues to claim the number one spot. The University of Central Missouri holds on to the number two spot, while the Colorado School of Mines still snags the number three position. East Stroudsburg University sits in the number four spot, while Stonehill College moves in to claim this week's number five position. In Division Two men, big shakeups this week as Rockhurst University breaks out of their former number three spot to claim this week's number one with a 7-0-1 record. Southern New Hampshire University and St. Edwards University jump up to claim the number two and three spots this week, while Simon Fraser University breaks in to claim the number four spot. Former number one University of Charleston sits at number five this week, but we are pleased to be joined by their head coach, Chris Grassi. And taking the words from Wayne Cavati from the NCAA.com just a couple weeks ago, Charleston, West Virginia men's soccer program has been knocking on the door for the past few seasons. The Golden Eagles first reached the finals in 2014, falling to Lynn 3-2, to before returning to the national semifinals last year, only to be ousted by the reigning national champion, Bob Riasso's Pfeiffer team. Of course, Bob's already been on the program. That score, 2-1. to To say that the bar is set high for this year's edition of the Golden Eagles may be an understatement. They are led by Chris Grassi, who has built Charleston into a national powerhouse on the D2 soccer scene since taking the helm in 2011. The Mountain East Coach of the Year the past two consecutive seasons became the program's winningest coach in history last year on the heels of winning the conference tournament. He had some great success at Michigan as well. Got to know him there. And he joins us now. Chris, thanks for being with us. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me. You guys are getting some well-deserved attention. You mentioned that article that I just read from an NCAA.com. People are taking notice on the national stage. It's got to make you feel pretty good, Coach. Yeah, it does. You know, it's, it's nice to sort of be at the helm of a, of a program that's, that's doing really well. And, and you know, we've uh, we started with a decent squad in 2011, and we've just been able to take that next step. And, you know, it's nice for the guys who been part of the program and who've moved on to see the you know the recognition that the program is now getting so it's it's fantastic well let's talk about your journey because one of the things we love about this podcast sponsored by the nscaa is we're covering every level of soccer men and women so here you go you're having great success at michigan under the then coach steve burns leading michigan to the college cup the national final before falling to akron and maybe you're thinking D1 job, you get the call from Charleston, D2. Talk about that journey and, and the level of play at D2. It's been an interesting one. Obviously, yeah, we had the 2010 was a was an excellent team and a, and a group of guys at Michigan. Um, and, and for myself, I'd always, you know, I'm probably more suited to a head coaching role. I was, was very personally stressed as an assistant, you know, trying to, you know, work on somebody else's schedule all the time and, and, and you know, doing, not being able to make a lot of decisions. Um, and so I was definitely looking for you know, a head coaching job when I left Michigan. And uh, it was interesting, you know, I, I talked to my old coach, uh, Dan Kelly, who recommended that I, I really seriously have a look at taking this job because they had a, a really good team. 
um, led by Rob Vincent, who now plays for DC United. Um, and it was just a, it was a great setup, uh, great staff. We've got a great AD with uh, Brent Stevens, and it was really geared, you know, to be successful. And we just had to tweak a few things and and change the way we did, you know, just a couple of things and the way we brought in players. And uh, we've had we've had a lot of success. And for me, it's been it's been great. And you know, I would say the the sort of top end teams like the the Lins and the Fifa that you mentioned and, and ourselves could compete at the top end of the Division One spectrum as well. You know, I, I, that's what I've heard about the elite programs at D2, and you said it best right there. But talk about uh, keeping your team competitive, the recruiting process, D2. What's the offseason look like for you guys? Um, I mean, it's, it's a very similar setup in season to Division One. You know, you've got your competitive season uh, in, in the fall, and then in the spring you've got your five games, you know. So we spend a lot of time, you know, from the end of the season in December – all the way right through until, you know, we recruit in D2, we recruit right up until school starts. Um, and we've been known to bring guys in, you know, like right as that first week of school is starting. It's uh, it's a little bit of a different landscape. I know Michigan um, and, and Division One. you know, you, you try them recruited for that signing period, you have them committed, and then you have them sign in February. You know, we might not even know any of our top recruits by February because we're looking at, you know, the, a lot of the pro kids that get released from, you know, academies in Germany and England, um, guys in Brazil taking TOEFL tests. Like, so we don't even know who's really available. So my first couple of seasons, it was definitely uh, squeaky bum time, you know, being really nervous, like trying to be, you know, being so used to being prepared and having the recruits listed and knowing who was coming in and knowing who was signing to. Really, you don't know until those kids are getting released in April, May, you know, and you've got to get them on that last SAT. So you you're still looking for the same quality of players as, say, like a, a Sunni Saad or um, Justin Merrim, who were two excellent players at, at Michigan, but you you have to wait a little bit longer. So it's a it's definitely a situation where you have to be reliant on your contacts. You have to do the due diligence. You have to get over to England and France and Germany and Italy and Brazil. And, you know, we've had some luck in Africa lately. So you've really got to be on the ball in terms of keeping the contacts ready and keeping your contacts talking to you about who's who's coming and who's possibly coming and you know you've got to be prepared to be flexible and maybe you don't get your first or second choice but your third choice might be even better if he if a player comes available later so a bit of a different landscape um you know five years ago when i was out in germany and in the uk there was me and uh you know paul snape from butler and a few other guys um and now you get there and there's you know 50 d1 coaches all lined up with their notepads looking at the same kids so it's definitely sort of the landscape's definitely changing again as D1 brings it looks for more of those sort of foreign players, especially uh, the German player, you know, who's going to come in. They have a great education timeline for um, the NCAA. So they're coming in at like 20, 21 years old with some, they play in the fourth division in Germany, which is an amateur division. And so you've got this big country, big population, great at soccer, and their fourth tier of football are all amateurs. And those players are looking to come over to the U.S. Um, and I see that as a legitimate pathway. So there's been a massive influx in D1 of those type of players. And, you know, if you've got to choose between a 17-year-old prospect and a 21-year-old man, it's, it's, it's often difficult to, for them to make that choice and take the younger player who needs them to develop. So the landscape's got very crowded. Well, that's a fantastic breakdown. That was the best we've ever had on the program, breaking down the recruiting process awesome. for the D2. Yeah, love that. Then, I guess. And I love that uh, you mentioned Paul Snape as well, um, who was with you at Michigan, has gone on to great success for Butler, which has his team in the top 25 on the D1 level. Okay, 
final two years ago, semifinals last year. What's it take to win a national championship this year, Coach? Can you tell me? <laughs> uh, we've um, obviously we, we try and do things the, the same way, and I think you know when we played Lynn in 2014, I think that was probably we were pretty good. We probably had one wobble where we tied during that season. But other than that, we really hadn't played badly, and we actually saved our bad game for the first 30 minutes against Lynn, and then for the rest of the time, we were fine and pulled it back to 3-2. And you know, a bit unlucky uh, with a couple of goals. Um, and last year, I thought, you know, I think Bob will tell you, you know, I think we dominated that game in terms of stats and shots and chances and possession, and um, they were an excellent side. I think it was it was two great sides. Uh, you know, I wish them, you know. I wish you could go back and, and maybe get a bounce here or a little bit of luck here. You know, I think that's maybe what we're we're missing. I think the program is at a level where we can constantly be, um, you know, at the top of this division. But to to win a national championship, you need a lot of things to fall your way and to you know to go right. We just keep trying to be in the right place at the right time for for that luck to fall on us. You know, the, with the preparation and. Uh, meeting the opportunity when it comes. Finally, you know, a lot of times when you hear Charleston, uh, you think South Carolina. But I loved talking to you last night as we were getting ready for this interview, and you said, you know, Charleston, West Virginia, it's the state capital. It's a phenomenal place. Tell us about uh, your university there in Charleston, West Virginia. So we've got a, I mean, we've got a great little university. It's um, really, really picturesque. We're right on the river overlooking the state capitol building. And um, so it's, I mean, one of the most picturesque campuses that, you know, I've seen and I've been on. And um, we have a, you know, great president who's very innovative and forward thinking, who's been absolutely supportive of us, Dr. Welch, and a great AD in, in Brent Stevens who wants to make, you know, UC um, a destination school for D2 athletics. You know, she wants to have the best programs. And so that fits right in with what what we've been all about as a program of trying to be the best uh, the city's nice. It's, I think it's about 80,000 people in the city, and um, there's, you know, there's lots of new restaurants popping up all the time. There's, um, they have a beautiful, every Friday night in the summer, they have this thing called Live on the Levee. There's a music stage built right under the river, and, um, you know, it's a fantastic little community that, um, you know, has really supported us and really looked after us, and it's been a fantastic place for me and my wife to start raising our kids. So great to reconnect with you. I'm so proud of your success. I so enjoyed those Michigan teams when you talked about Mr. Merrim and the Saad brothers and the strength in the midfield. That was some of my favorite times on the Big Ten Network. Speaking of Michigan, I'll be calling Michigan on Sunday as they take on Bob Warming and Penn State. But always good to talk to somebody that I met along the way during Big Ten times. now having great success at Charleston. And I think this could be your year, Coach. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Take a look now at the junior college scene. Not much movement this week as Eastern Florida State College and Butler Community College hang on to the number one and number two spots this week in the women's level. Paradise Valley Community College jumps up to the number three position, knocking Tyler Junior College down to number five. Speaking of Tyler Junior College, they continue to hold the number one spot in this week's polls for Division One men. And we are pleased to be joined by their big personality head coach, Steve Clements. 
now in his 11th season at Tyler. He was inducted into the Men's Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame in 2009. He's got a national championship in 2000 at Meridian, in 2009, 2010, and 2012. And Tyler, eight national tournament appearances. He is the man at Tyler Junior College and in the junior college scene, and, and we're pleased to have him on the program now. Well, thank you much, Dean. We're glad to be here. Coach, uh, enjoyed spending time with you over the years as part of NSCAA TV and just covering what has clearly been a phenomenal program. Here you are winning again, top of the tables. Talk about what it's been like. Like building this powerhouse in Tyler? You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I always tell people there's a difference in having a program and having a team, you know, and it, it takes a long time to do that. You know, we were ready and it took us quite a while to ever get to our first national tournament. The same was here, you know, and it just takes time to, you know, to ever get yourself to that point. And then, of course, once you get there, it's harder to hold on to it, really. So it's um, a wonderful school and great place to be so it never gets old winning national championships though right i mean if if it'd be okay wouldn't you just like to stack them like books in a bookshelf i mean it never gets old right coach it, it does not get old I, I you know i i will say that you know as time goes on and this is not coach speak but as time goes on and the better you do you know your priorities kind of change i think as you get older you know i mean it's it's, it's as much fun now to watch our guys graduate from their four-year schools and, of course, a couple signed contracts and just the excitement of watching them, you know, grow up. I got old players now that are four years old and stuff like that, you know, and it's just kind of neat to reflect and, and enjoy all of that, you know, as you get to this point in your career time. Coach, clearly you like your spot in junior college because we're going to talk about You just mentioned it. A lot of your players go on to play at big schools, play big roles at UCSB yep. and other places across the country. You've clearly had opportunities to leave and do the same thing that your players did. Why have you decided to stay and stay for so long? Well, I, you know, a couple of reasons. One, I think I've found my niche, honestly, Dean. I mean, I like this. I like this level. I, I love the group that we get of players the type of people we get and to watch them progress i think is is uh you know a lot of our guys have more progression to make just academically and uh soccer wise sometimes and to watch them you know explode you know and do well is uh fun and then also you know just retirement you know you get years built up so long after a while you've got so many years built up in a state retirement system or whatever (laughs) you know you know you kind of get locked as well but that's just kind of my niche and it's probably what i need to be honestly so that's that's just the way i've always felt about it all right coach paint a picture for us if no one has ever been to tyler texas or more importantly to tyler junior college what will they find what will they see well i think they'll be impressed i i i hope that they are you know it's a it's a beautiful campus you know it is not a typical uh, two-year college-looking campus. You know, we're 11,400-something students this fall. We are a, a uh, you know, we have beautiful facilities, just gorgeous. You know, I, I, I say all the time, I don't know how many Division One coaches walk out of their locker room and walk uh, 20 yards, and they choose whether they're going to practice on their turf field or their grass field that day. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's just a gorgeous place, and our campus and our grounds are beautiful. It's a it's a it's a place with a lot of community support. You know, we're a city of about a hundred thousand people, or a little bit over that, probably now hundred ten maybe. But you know, it's the right size to, 
you know, uh, to, to, I think, you know, have the, you know, the community still loves our school and rallies around it. And um, it's just, it's just a real neat place. When I was at Meridian uh, Community College years ago, when I looked at Tyler, I was just always, again, that was probably the most impressive place, you know, that I ever went to, you know, to, to go, uh, to go coach a game. You've won multiple national championships. This will be a tougher one for you, but what are your top one or two memories at Tyler? Probably that uh, the national championship in 2009. It was a great game. It was against a dear friend, Mark Figuera. Um, uh, it was just so much fun to be back at the national tournament. Um, it was a wonderful environment. Charlie, Charlie and Verso was still at Mercer, and that's where we had it. It was at Mercer County Community College, an old venue that we had been to many times when I was at Meridian. And uh, it was just a wonderful atmosphere. Of course, we won in a shootout, and you hated it to look down there and see Mark and them, but it was a – we beat Georgia Perimeter in the final, and uh, we were uh, – we had a red card with about uh, 10 minutes or 20 minutes left to go into contest, somewhere in there, and uh, so we played down a man through um, through probably 15 minutes at a minimum and, and, and a couple of uh, overtimes and, and uh, took it to a shootout and hit all five penalty kicks to win. I've never – had a team that hit all five. In fact, we usually hit about two, but I remember. So we hit all five that day and won the national championship. And of course, you can't forget Dom Dwyer. I mean, what a great career he had here, I and mean, especially his sophomore season. And you know, we go to the national semi. We just cruise through the national tournament. Uh, we get to the finals, Dean, and it's a wind blowing, a hard, hard wind blowing, and we lose the toss. We're going to go against the wind in the first half. And um, and we are up. Dom Dwyer goes on a. I mean, he just again. He was a, what a great player. What a great team he had around him. What I mean, two guys got drafted off that team. You know, Brent Griffith, Dom Dwyer both got drafted and uh, later on down the road. And uh, and you know we uh, we're up three uh, zero at the half against the wind. You know, and we go on and win the national final five to one. But uh, that's a great memory. And then I can still remember O'Neill Fisher, who's now playing at Seattle. Um, you know, a couple of years later, that was that team won it in '12, I think, and um, and Fisher uh, hit a goal against San Jacinto, our our arch rival, I guess, in conference, and uh, always a great program. He hits the game, the goal in overtime to send us on to the national tournament or to the next round or whatever. And those are probably some of the great moments I remember. You know, that uh, you know, particular games or particular. Yeah, great games, great players, and obviously you've also been recognized as the NSCAA Coach of the Year. You're here as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. I love that they dedicate time to every level of college soccer, men and women. What has that organization meant to you, Coach? Oh, my goodness. I just I can't say enough about how, how wonderful the organization is. You know, sometimes I think we probably could have been overlooked that the NSCA has never been that way. I mean, you know, we're, a, we're, we're junior college soccer and for whatever, you know, I mean, all the attention goes other places a lot of times. But, I, you know, I've never felt more, you know, the, I've always felt like the NSCAA does its fair and its quality of a job. Of, uh, of looking after our members, you know, several years back, they came up with a program to really help encourage more junior colleges to be a part. And they just have been, they've been wonderful to work with through the years. And it's just, I mean, I've been a member of that association now, you know, what, 24 years or whatever, you know, and 
I'm a, I'm a big believer in it, and of course a big uh, advocate of it, and and, and certainly um, um, advertise it every time I get a chance. Coach, thanks for being with us on the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. We love your personality, we love your program, and we'll be pulling for you to win another national championship. Thanks, Dean. It was great to be here. We appreciate it. The NSCAA eLearning Suite is designed to provide quality online courses for a variety of coaching needs. Whether you want to improve your knowledge of small-sided games, attacking principles of play, or defending principles of play, there is something for everyone with NSCAA eLearning. Accessible anywhere, the NSCAA eLearning Suite can help you take the next step in your coaching education from the comfort of your home. Log on to nscaa.com slash elearning to learn more. Welcome to the NSCA podcast for the week of September 26th. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information again on all news around NAI women's soccer. Let's get started. Spring Arbor University remains the number one team in the new NAI women's soccer coaches top 25 poll announced Tuesday. This is their fourth straight number one ranking, which is the most in school history at Spring Harbor. The Cougars are off to an outstanding 9-0-0 start on the year. There are two new teams in the top 25 NAI polls this week. Number 24, John Brown University out of Arkansas, and number 25, Mid-America Nazarene University out of Kansas. John Brown is ranked for the first time since 2014, while the Pioneers were last mentioned during the 2015 season. Benedictine College out of Kansas is only two wins shy of reaching the 300-win club in program history. The Ravens women's soccer team started the season 5-2 and two and are looking to be the 15th team in NAI women's soccer history to reach 300 wins. In the early going, we find that Kaiser University out of Florida, Spring Arbor, and Taylor University out of Indiana lead the NAI in wins with a 9-0-0 mark. Looking at individuals, around NAI women's soccer. Julia Skojan of Fisher College leads the NAI in goals scored with 20, six more than any other player, in a span of nine games as she's averaged 2.2 goals per game. The junior has amassed 92 career goals at Fisher College and is nearing the top 10 list of NAI career goals leaders. She needs 17 more to crack the national top 10 career list all time in NAI women's soccer. Kinsey Miller-Riney of Midway College out of Kentucky has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, while Madison Donahue of Mid-America Christian University in Oklahoma has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Looking at the stats for the week, Miller-Riney recorded seven goals and one assist in three matches for Midway, while Donahue recorded 14 saves and goal in 200 minutes played as she logged a career-high 11 saves and a tie against Bethel University out of Tennessee. That concludes this NAI Women's Soccer edition of the NSCA podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around NAI Women's Soccer. Well done. That's a look at NAIA Women. Now we get an update on NAIA Men. For the second straight week in the NAIA, Oklahoma Wesleyan University is the number one team in the second regular season edition of the NAI Men's Soccer Coaches Top 25 poll announced Tuesday. The Eagles are riding a 21-match unbeaten streak with a 19-0-2 mark during that time span and have already defeated four top 25 opponents this year. The Eagles are not the only ones on a long undefeated streak. 
Number eight, Campbellsville University currently holds the longest mark of 23 straight wins or ties, dating back to last year, as the Tigers have gone 21-0-2 since over a year ago in September of 2015. Three top 25 newcomers highlight the list this week. Number 22, Cumberland out of Tennessee. Number 23, Reinhardt out of Georgia. And number 25, Midland University out of Nebraska. There are still 14 undefeated teams in NAI men's soccer, with four of them with zero losses and zero ties. Those four teams are Hastings, Madonna, Indiana Tech, and Campbellsville. Hastings leads the NAI currently and wins with a 9-0-0 mark. The fourth-ranked Broncos have been one of the hottest teams thus far with four top 25 wins. As we mentioned on the show last week, we also wanted to highlight one more time the accomplishment of two coaches in the NAIA ranks who recently hit the 300-win career milestone, Coach Dave Wolf of Westmont College and Coach Jim Rickard of the Masters University. The pair become the seventh and eighth active men's head coaches in the NAIA to hit this 300-win threshold. Congratulations again to both of them. Daniel Whitehall of Hastings College has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Garrett Bird of Oregon Tech University has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Whitehall recorded six goals in two matches last week to earn the Player of the Week honor, including a career-high five goals in the win against Kansas Wesleyan. A junior defender, Bird was part of an Oregon Tech defense to shut out Northwest Christian and allow just a single goal to Corbin last week for Oregon Tech. Looking at the NEI goals leaders this year, the current National Player of the Week we just mentioned, Daniel Whitehall of Hastings, he is an NEI best 18 goals in nine matches. Whitehall has already surpassed his season high of goals set last year when he had 14 in 15 games. That concludes this NAI Men's Soccer edition of the NSCA podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around NAI Men's Soccer. By being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game. We end this week's podcast with Division I soccer, starting with Division I women. Paul Ratcliffe and Stanford University continues to hold on to the number one spot in this week's polls. Mark Krikorian's Florida State Seminoles are at number two. Jennifer Rockwood's BYU Cougars at number three. And Nikki Izzo-Brown's team is at number four. The University of South Carolina, under the direction of Shelly Smith, now in her 16th season, where she has featured two SEC championships and multiple trips to the NCAA tournament. She has has her team at number five. Her husband helps coach the team as well, and she joins us on the program. Shelly, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me, Dean. Appreciate it. Number five in the country, Texas A&M on Thursday night, so certainly it doesn't get easier, but how are you feeling about being number five right now, Coach? Oh, um, we're definitely enjoying it. Uh, the fact we've had the success we've had, um, we are proud of how we're representing the SEC conference, and we just want to keep going. We're not focused too much on that right now. We're we're more focused on um, the next game, the next game, and that's how we've gotten to where we are. And we know we need to keep it going and, and do this as we head towards the end of the regular season. Um, so that's that's kind of what our focus is. But we're really happy to where we are at this moment. 
Let's talk about your team because a lot of times in soccer, the scores are 1-0. I think you've had seven games where you've scored three or more goals, which is amazing. Tons of 3 nothing shutouts. What makes your team so explosive? Talk about your style of play. Well, I think our team has done a great job this year to really buy into how we want to play and then to be um, creative in our attack and take advantage of our chances. Uh, you know, we, we definitely like to move the ball um, uh, we've done a good job to wear some teams down by keeping the ball moving uh, quickly and then um, turning the back four and getting ourselves in good positions to, to get balls in, in dangerous areas. So I think more than ever we've done that, and that's been a piece that we've been missing the last couple of years where our defensive organization and our ball movement has been very good, but we haven't been uh, as dangerous in the attack. And I think this year it's come together um, and with the players that we have doing so well up top, I think it's just it's been tremendous, and that's been a big part of our success. As a coach, you got to love the, for lack of a better word, killer mentality, though, because so many times you can dominate a game, you get one goal, and then boom, one mistake, and it's tied at one. Clearly, you guys get one, and you're looking for more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's um, a lot has to do with the mentality of our group. Um, I- I'm really proud of their um, ability to handle the ups and downs of a game and, and not get too caught up um, if something doesn't go their way. And if something does go their way, that they're not just resting on that. They're continuing to go at teams. And it says a lot about the group, the leadership we have. We have a lot of seniors. We have our captain, Chelsea Drennan, who has just done a great job to lead uh, as a player on the field but also off the field. And the team chemistry is amazing. They want to play hard for each other. So a lot of pieces have come together, and you have those special groups. And I know they'll continue to be successful if they keep going at it like they have been. Well, you play at the graveyard, and Mark Burson has been at South Carolina forever as well. Talk about first uh, what it's like playing at the graveyard in Columbia and then your relationship with Coach Burson. Yeah, I think uh, the, the graveyard is a special place, and a lot has to do with the men's soccer program here that was well-established before women's soccer even started at South Carolina. So it was kind of an advantage to come into a place that already was a soccer school, um, a great program that Mark Burson had built, and and then to have the atmosphere that they had with a crowd, um, uh, a great stadium. Um, so we definitely benefited from that, and um, and it's really nice to see both programs doing well. Um, you know, I think it, it's great the support we have um, that our team gives them and they give us, and it makes it a nice working environment. And, of course, Coach Burson's been in the game for so long, and uh, it's really neat to see how well he's done for so many years. Um, so it is, a, it is a neat environment, and... Now we actually got a new soccer facility at the graveyard, so it's uh, new and improved even from where it was. And we share a building with the men's soccer program, and and it's just one of the best places to play in the country for sure. Yeah, I've heard that actually. And, uh, boy, I had such a great time calling the NSCA Game of the Week, both men's and women's down there, and just hear and learn about those improvements is fantastic. Now, you're part of a, a new trend, but uh, you've made it successful. That is coaching with your husband. Your husband, Jamie, the associate head coach, um, as you guys are also the parents of two wonderful young boys. Uh, just talk about how you've made that work, because you certainly have. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a unique situation, and a lot of people don't understand how you know that works. But really, it, it is an amazing way to 
to build a program, to be invested in what we do, and, uh, you know, our our family of soccer players, but also our own family that we were able to start when we moved to South Carolina. So, um, you know, just the balance of being able to help each other. Um, you know, we don't spend a lot of time together, which is surprising. They think about it, but we're often doing our own things and working and going in different directions. Um, but we also collaborate and make sure that we're um, on the same page and, and taking care of business. So it, it, it ends up being a great working relationship. Um, and again, it's that kind of the, you can't ask for a more committed, loyal assistant than, you know, your husband. And, and Jamie is an, a phenomenal coach. He, he's, he deserves to be a head coach somewhere and lead a program himself. But um, this is something that we've done together, and he, he loves it as well, loves his position. Um, and he gets as much credit as I do for building this program and, and leading this team. So um, we've had a great working relationship since, um, you know, we met, and we knew we could make it work. And um, I-, I love being a mom to my kids and also our players, and, and it, it just makes uh, everything that much better um, having that family atmosphere. Well, let's go down memory lane. Tell us how you met, and then tell us how much, you know, when you said, hey, let's coach together. Were you already married? I mean, how did all that work? Because I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, well, ironically, we actually met on the soccer field. Um, so we, who knew we were going to end up both college coaches? But we, um, we met working camps in the summer, which, you know, a lot of the college players do. Uh, and I happened to be working in the town where I was going to school in, in Burlington, Vermont, and he was at home for the summer working the same camp. So it was pretty funny that we ended up meeting that way. And then, um, you know, our goal was, you know, college coaching was growing at the time. And um, he, Jamie was a double major in marketing and management. And by the time I figured out I kind of wanted a college coach, he was jumping into it first at UVM with Coach Ron McEachin. And uh, giving him a chance there, and uh, you know, I was kind of disappointed at the time. I was thinking, well, I'm going to do this coaching thing, not you. And and but it ended up working out great. He loved it, and if you love what you do, you can't fault that. So um, I was really happy he got into something he, he wanted to do and was so good at. So we started uh, different programs. He worked on the men's side. I worked on the women's. We weren't really together much until we got to South Carolina, and. When we got here, there was an opening. Jamie was great, uh, supported me in looking at it, and he just looked to try to find opportunity here. And when um, they gave us the ability to um, hire him in the position, we said we'd make it. Work, we'd try to make it work, and it, it's been wonderful. Um, the AD at the time, Mike McGee, flew up to Rhode Island where we were and interviewed Jamie and said, "Yep, you're hired." and um, and I'd like to hire you with, with uh, Shelly. So I, I can't thank him enough for giving us that opportunity to work together and help us build a family and start something here at South Carolina, and, and we've never looked back. I love that story. Now, finally, back to uh, you know tomorrow's game, or as this airs, today's game against Texas A&M. What, uh, what are you expecting out of the game today? Well, it's going to be a great battle. I mean, SEC is very competitive. As you can, if you follow the college game, you look at the results, um, you know, they are all over the place every year, and it's become that much more competitive um, every every weekend. 
And so A&M has predominantly been a top team in the country, and, and again, they are, and they've shown that, and we need to be on the best, our best game when we go to College Station. Um, their team, uh, their environment there is probably one of the hardest places to play in the country as well. So we, um, we know we'll be tested um, with the environment, the, the team they have, um, that being at home, and, and making up for some losses they've had the last week that is not like them. And I know they're going to be very hungry to, to come after us um, with a record we have and coming there into their place. So it's going to be a, a tough, tough task, but we're looking forward to the matchup. Finally, Shelly, you're here as part of the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. You've been part of the games of the week back when that was happening. What has the NSCAA meant to you? I think it's been such a great um, organization through the years. To you know, I, I was able to really start my coaching career and being a part of the the, the coaching programs. Um, it gave me a great understanding of what it takes to be a coach when you're making that transition from player to coach. Um, so those programs, I, I really valued, and and it, I think it started me off on the right foot as I got into college coaching. Um, but I think NSC has grown so much more as well through the years. And, you know, the conventions they provide every year I think are fantastic and opportunities they give these young coaches to get involved in the game. Um, and, you know, we, I've had so many mentors that have been in the NSCAA as, as coaches and leaders in that program. Uh, I, I've always looked up to um, what they've done and, you know, Rob Keogh being our person to – to talk to and when we need to improve the college game that's that's been a, a tremendous program as well so i really appreciate all they do and and glad it's going strong and we're having more and more programs like this and others that you know are giving members and and young coaches more opportunities well said number five in the country texas a&m tonight shelly do you have a team that could win the national championship um, I, I would um, like to think so. Uh, you know, I think that's something where we're striving to get to every year. And the fact where we're at right now, you know, if we can play like we have been, we have the ability to challenge anybody. Um, and uh, so we've got to stay healthy, strong, um, continue at it, and uh, I think we have a, a, a team that can battle there. Good stuff from Shelly Smith. When we come back, we'll look at men's Division One soccer, and we'll spend time with Bo Oshani, the head coach at East Tennessee State University. They knocked off the number one team in the country a couple weeks ago, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels in Chapel Hill. Our main man, Bo, will break down that game and talk about his path to Division One soccer. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linke. In Division I men's soccer, Sasho Sarosky has Maryland holding on to the number one spot in this week's polls. University of Notre Dame sitting at number two. The University of North Carolina at number three. And who could forget just a couple weeks ago, the Tar Heels suffering their only loss to East Tennessee State. And Bo Oshani now in his third season as the top man at East Tennessee State. A 12-year career in Major League Soccer. He was an assistant coach at Wake Forest for a couple years, then with Smiling Bob Warming at Penn State. 
and he joins me now on the program. And I'm going to ask him to say his name the way it should be said. Give me your given name, Coach. It's Ade Boyega Oshoni. All right, and but we've kind of Americanized it to just Bo Oshani, and you've been okay with that? Yeah, I've been okay with that. A third-grade teacher started it, and it's uh, kind of stuck. We're going to do our best, though, to try to honor it as we go throughout this broadcast. Listen, we're delighted to have you on. Obviously, you we, we all know about your incredible career in MLS. Some of us may not know. I obviously did. Your time at Wake Forest and Penn State, but uh, your path into college soccer. But we definitely know that you beat the North Carolina Tar Heels Earlier this year, let's start with that game in Chapel Hill. Are you kidding me, Bo? Talk about that game. Yeah, it was, it was great. You know, it, it was funny. We were watching uh, Barcelona um, play Celtic on the way to the game, and we're watching Barcelona beat them seven nothing, and we're like, "Uh oh, this is this a prelude to what may happen?" And uh, you know, the boys came out, and uh, you know, they really believed. You know, I think in the first fifteen minutes, we had a great chance to score, and uh, we missed it. And I think from that point on, the guys really thought, you know, that uh, that we had a chance, you know, and uh, we did really, really well defensively, uh, made it really difficult for uh, for Chapel Hill. And, uh, you know, we were able to get the game winner, you know, in, uh, in overtime. And, uh, you know, for us, it's uh, it, it's big. You know, it's the biggest, you know, win in, uh, in school history and in, in program history. So, you know, we were real, real excited about it. But for me, I, I was real excited for the guys. You know, uh, a lot of these guys, college soccer is going to be the last time that they play you know, real, real competitive soccer. And, uh, you know, for them to, you know, be able to tell their kids and grandkids, you know, that they went to Chapel Hill when they were number one in the country and uh, was able to, to win that game is, is, is something special. So I think it's something that they can hold uh, dear to them, uh, you know, for the rest of their lives. So it, it was big. Indeed, it was big. And your path has been special. Let's first talk, though, about uh, your time in Major League Soccer. 12 years, so much success, even at Kansas City, where for a time you replaced the great Tony Miola. That's, I'm sure you got a million stories on that as well. But talk yeah. about how, how Major League Soccer prepared you for coaching. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I knew I always wanted to, you know, play professional soccer. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, have a, have a pretty long career you know, in Major League Soccer. And like you said, uh, you know, win an MLS Cup in 2000 and uh, lost in a final in 2004. And, uh, you know, for me, it was just, you know, I had some great coaches, you know. Uh, you know, Bob Warming was uh, was unbelievable, you know, as far as a mentor. Um, and I, I always knew I wanted to teach at some point. And, uh, you know, I, I just figured why not teach soccer, you know. And, uh, you know, I had some opportunities to possibly be an assistant, you know, in, in Major League Soccer at a couple points. But I just knew my passion was, uh, you know, college soccer. And, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, age group of kids, you know, they're so impressionable. Um, they're still moldable. They still want to learn so much. And, uh, you know, that that's the path I took. And uh, like I said, I was able to, you know, work with another great man and Jay Vidovich at, uh, at Wake Forest and then, uh, you know, Bob Warming at, uh, at Penn State. And, uh, you know, those two guys really helped mold me, um, you know, into the coach I am today. And, uh, you know, I was given an opportunity at ETSU. And, uh, you know, we're trying to build something special. And, uh, you know, we still have a lot, a lot of work to do. But I love the, 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 the direction of, uh, of our program right now. Of course, on this program, we only call him Smiling Bob Warming. Um, in fact, <laughs> whenever I do a Big Ten Network game, the producers and directors, they have a drinking game. How many times I'm going to say smiling Bob Warming? So I love that uh, you've already given him credit. But, you know, here's an interesting thing, though. I mentioned Tony Miola, who, you know, tried unsuccessfully so far, although I know he'll get another chance at Jacksonville. It's hard for a goalkeeper to become a head coach, you know, because they always want to make you a goalkeeper coach. That was yep. not what you wanted to do. Talk about that path because it's not easy, Bo. 
it's it's not. You, you, you're right. You you really get pigeonholed. Uh, you know, sometime as a, you know a goalkeeper guy, and uh, you know everything's with the with the goalkeepers and things like that. And uh, you know, at, at Wake Forest and at Penn State, you know uh, Bob and Jay both gave me you know a lot of opportunity to work with the outfield players and and just kind of change my identity a little bit. And uh, you know, I was able to do that, and I think I gained a lot of knowledge that way. And uh, you know, like you said, I, I got an opportunity you know to to be a head coach, and and that's what I wanted to do. You know, I I wanted to be able to affect you know, the, the whole game and uh, understand the whole picture of, uh, of what soccer is really about. And, uh, you know, I'm still learning. You know, that's for sure. I think once you stop learning, you should stop doing it. Uh, but, uh, but I think we're moving in the right direction. And, uh, you know, I'm loving it. I, I truly enjoy, you know, being a head coach and, uh, you know, being able to manage men and, you know, try to make them people that they, uh, that they aspire to be. Well, Bo, one of the reasons I want to have you on is obviously beating UNC and putting yourself on the map, but also can people continue to talk about college soccer. And you're hearing Sasha Swarovski saying now college soccer is still the heartbeat, the pulse of soccer in this country. And I agree with him. That's why I love this NSCA College Soccer Podcast. And here, a guy like you played in Major League Soccer for 12 years. You also have done plenty of work with U.S. Soccer. You could be coaching somewhere, perhaps as an assistant in MLS, but you chose college soccer. Why and where is college soccer's landscape right now in your mind? Yeah, I think it's a great, great platform, you know, for for a lot of these kids. You know, I think it gives all these kids opportunities to, uh, you know, work on their craft and, uh, you know, take that time to – really develop as people you know before they take that jump into uh you know the next level whether that's you know with major league soccer over in europe or hopefully you know with uh, with the u.s national teams and uh you know i i still think that you know soccer has a huge huge impact on uh the pro game you know in the country and also with our national teams i think if you look at our national teams a lot of the you know top players have gone to college and i think because of that you know they're 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 more ready you know for you know the pro game and uh, you know to, to compete on an international level. Um, I think Sasho, uh, you know Marlin at West Virginia and Rob Keogh obviously have done a great great job in trying to push this game you know as far as it can go. And I know that the big you know talk right now is a year round season, and uh, you know that's something that we really want. You know I think that that's the way that we could continue to uh, you know develop kids and have the time. To actually develop kids with with more training and not so many games, you know, back to back, you know, because uh, you know with so many games crammed into you know a three month season, it makes it really really hard, you know, for one for our guys to stay healthy, um, and then two just for us to have the time to really work on some of the things that are going to help them later on in their in their soccer playing careers. You talk about making an impact. You were the first African-American goalkeeper to start a game in Major League Soccer. Ironically, we had Russell Payne on last week highlighting that Army-Navy game that ended up 11,000-plus. I also asked him about how he feels about the number of African-American coaches coaching at the D1 level in soccer. Do you have a take on that subject, Bo? Yeah, I, I think we all have uh, you know, a responsibility. You know, like you said, being the, the first African-American uh, goalkeeper to uh, start a game in Major League Soccer, you know, I feel that as a, as a responsibility to, uh, you know, try to mentor, you know, some of the younger up-and-coming assistant coaches and kids, that, guys that want to get into the game and uh, really try to push that. You know, I think the, the more, you know, African-American uh, coaches that we can have, I think it can only help, you know, develop the, the sport. I know there's a lot of aspiring, you know, assistant coaches that are that are working really, really hard to uh, to be head coaches. And I think myself, 
you know, Russell Payne, Marlon that's uh, at West Virginia, you know, just to name a few, you know, I think we all kind of take that responsibility on trying to, you know, make sure that we show these kids that, you know, it's an opportunity that you can get, you know, and you can aspire to. And uh, it's, a, it's a dream that, you know, can actually, uh, you know, come true. And so, you know, every time I step on the field, I, I look at it like that. And, uh, you know, I always try to represent myself and I have my program represent themselves in, in the right way that people look at us and say, you know, that, that's the program that I want to be a part of or that's, a, you know, a coach that I want to play for or aspire to be like, you know. And so I think we all do a great, great job of it. Um, you know, I think it's something that, you know, I think it's going to take time, but I do think you'll start to see, you know, more and more, you know, African-American coaches, uh, you know, coaching in college soccer. And I think once we get to that point, I think we're something that we can all, uh, you know, be uh, be proud of. Well said, Bo. Just so articulate as well with passion. Talking about aspirations, I'm going to put you on the spot. Ten years from <laughs> now, where do you want to be, Coach? Uh, I mean, I hope I'm here at ETSU. You know, I'll be honest. I love the program. Um, you know, I love the direction of the athletic department and uh, and everything that we're we're trying to do. Um, I, I really feel that you know we can put something together here to uh, to possibly you know win a conference championship and make a run into the uh, into the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, that being said, you know I, I think you know if we can do those things, there'll definitely you know be other opportunities here. I've, I've promised my wife that I won't move her around again. So, uh, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I, I just take it day by day, you know. And uh, like you said, we we got a great result at, uh, at Furman, a 0-0 tie uh, last night. And, uh, you know, we're just looking at Mercer right now. And, you know, that's all I can do. I think sometimes when you start thinking, you know, too far – you know, down the down the road, you stop forgetting about how good you have it, you know, where you're at. And so, uh, like I said, I, I love where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, I just want to keep growing as a coach and, uh, you know, keep growing this program so that, you know, one day we can look at it and hopefully uh, we can look and see us in a, in, a, in a Final Four one day. Finally, Bo, go ahead and take us down memory lane because I mentioned Tony Miola, one of the iconic figures of U.S. soccer. And here you are at Kansas City, and you eventually beat him out. What was that like? What do you remember about those days and taking from your time with Tony Miola? It, it was great. I mean, I, th- I think like you said, he's, uh, you know, an icon, you know, in the, in the sport. So when I did sign with, uh, with Kansas City, you know, I was, uh, I was, it was great, you know, just, uh, you know, being around him every day you know, picking up on a lot of the things that he did as a, as a pro and things like that. And then, like you said, in 2000, um, you know, I was able to start in that uh, Major League Soccer final. And uh, or, uh, in 2004, I was able to start that Major League, uh, you know, start uh, final. And, you know, from that point on, I, I thought I had a chance. You know, I, I really thought I had a chance to, to, to prove that I was, uh, you know, just as good, if not better, you know, uh, than Tony Miola and the coaching staff at Kansas City thought the same. And uh, they gave me an opportunity you know, to, uh, to be the starter at, uh, at Kansas City. And it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great experience. I, you know, I try to tell all our guys, you know, it's the, it's the best part of your life if you can be a pro and you can do the thing that you love every single day. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed every bit of that experience, the ups, the downs, you know. Uh, you know, I think it's something that I always tell our guys. I've been everywhere they're going to be. You know, I've been on the bench where, you know, I had to, you know, just buy my time. And then I've been, you know, the starter and the man, you know. So I think having those experiences and be able to relate those experiences to these college athletes is something that's, uh, you know, pretty important for them. All right, last thing. you got Mercer on Saturday. Then you've got Wofford on Tuesday. And I mentioned Wofford because Ralph Polson has been such a key player with the NSCAA. What has that organization meant to you? 
it, it's been unbelievable. You know, I, I think Ralph, uh, you know, does a, does a tremendous, tremendous job, you know, at, uh, at Wofford. And uh, for me, you know, just having him as a, as a guy to lean on, you know, guys that have been in the game, you know, for so long and, uh, you know, have some so many different experiences and things like that. And like you said, everything that he's done, you know, for the NSCAA, is uh, is unbelievable. So to to go up and play them, me and Ralph always have a good banter on the on the sideline. Uh, we have a great chat always before and after the games. And uh, you know he's uh, tremendous for the sport. You know so uh, and for college soccer. So it's always an honor to go play them. They're always tough. You know to play, especially at their place. So uh, you know I'm looking forward to to seeing them and catching up again. And uh, you know hopefully getting a result this time at their place. Bo, everybody describes you as one of the all-time good guys in soccer. I can see why. Always a pleasure running into you. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Dean. I really appreciate it and everything that you guys do. And uh, like I said, I love to you know hear you on TV and watch you on TV and things like that because you do uh, you do a tremendous job. So uh, keep it going, okay? Bo, Shani, thank you so much for the kind words. And used to love seeing you on the bench, sitting next to Bob Warren for the Penn State Nittany Lions. Speaking of Penn State, speaking of television, we come back, we'll wrap up the show as Penn State will face Michigan on the Big Ten Network Sunday at noon. I'll have the call with Chris Doran. He joins me next. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. Welcome back to the NSCA College Soccer Podcast. I know you've heard me talk a lot about uh, games coming up on the Big Ten Network, where I have been a small part of for 10 years. And with me all 10 years has been Indiana Soccer Hall of Famer, my good friend from Bloomington, Indiana. I love this guy, Chris Doran, who's kind enough to join me on the podcast. Chris, thanks for being with us. Hey, Dean, no problem. And you're understating your involvement with the with the. Uh network. You've been a, a large part of it. Everyone knows that. Well, you're very kind, and uh, we've got a game on Sunday. Shaka Daly and the Michigan Wolverines searching for that elusive Big Ten conference victory against Smiling Bob Warming, and I know right now someone's drink taking a drink because I love saying Smiling Bob Warming and the Penn State Nittany Lions, though, and it doesn't matter the records when those two get together. It should be fun. No, and especially since Penn State's coming off the uh, 1-0 setback against Temple, and, and as you mentioned, Michigan has struggled to find some traction in the Big Ten schedule this year. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens when they collide in Ann Arbor on Sunday. Chris, I love the fact that you've also had a long career in Major League Soccer, first with Chicago Fire, last several years with the Columbus Crew. I like it because it also gives you a different perspective of the college game, particularly you're covering an MLS game and there you see an Indiana superstar, a Maryland superstar, uh, Ohio State superstar, and on and on. You know, there's a lot of talk right now where college soccer fits in to the overall scheme of soccer in this country. Sasso Sarosky has been out front saying college soccer is still the heartbeat, the pulse of soccer in this country. From where you sit, how do you feel about college soccer's place? It's absolutely relevant and it's absolutely necessary. Um, I know there are a lot of MLS teams that are putting together their um, programs to kind of incubate the talent and have that talent ready to go when they're 17, 18, or 19 but the fact of the matter is is that those players who are able to crack the first team at that young age still have a lot of growth that they've got to go through. Um, and I think that our society values academics 
so much. And a college degree, in a lot of respects, is so valuable that it's necessary that these student athletes have a place to go to experience and develop as young players, but also to get that college degree. So the future of college soccer is extremely bright. It's extremely necessary. And as you and I see every weekend, it's tremendously entertaining. You just said it best. We have the best seat in the house. And and now everywhere you look, college soccer is on the national stage with so many networks out there. And, of course, as we said, 10 years now with the Big Ten Network, they do a phenomenal job covering college soccer. It's great the exposure it gets, and it's great to have this seat on the Big Ten Network, Chris. Yeah, I agree with you, Dean. I I think the Big Ten Network has done wonders for college athletics, but in particular these Olympic sports. You're very close to field hockey. do a great job with that. Um, and uh, for those of us who are a little more specialized with the with the soccer in particular, that I can watch a couple of games, you know, almost every other day uh, on my TV here in Bloomington in full HD and, and get the sounds of your voice calling a game from uh, wherever you are in the conference. I think it's just tremendous. With that, the coverage of the Big Ten tournament every year since the launch of the Big Ten Network. 2007, it was launched, and Ohio State won over Indiana on penalty kicks. Chris Grassi's been on this program. He was an assistant with Steve Burns in 2010 when they went to the College Cup final. Of course, they also launched as part of the Big Ten tournament. We'll be in Indianapolis this year, a little bit of a change. Talk about what that will mean and what it's been like covering the Big Ten tournament every single year since the Big Ten Network launched. Yeah, it's been really exciting. And the way they're formatting the tournament in these recent years, the quarterfinals take place on the weekend before, uh, and then we are paying close attention, of course, to the Big Ten tournament weekend with the two semifinals and, and the final. I remember several years, you and I are sitting out at um, Penn State as, a, as an example and, and spending four or five days out there covering the quarterfinals and so on and so forth. I love the way they space it out. And this year, instead of the top seed getting the host duties for the final weekend of play, uh, they're going to Grand Park, which is in Westfield, Hamilton County, just north of Indianapolis. It's a gigantic complex of um, both synthetic and natural grass fields. That facility that is going to have um, something of a stadium that's actually still being constructed uh, placed there is, is going to host the Big Ten Tournament. So uh, a bit of a neutral spot, although I think some people outside of Indiana would probably argue that it's more of a spot favored for the Indiana Hoosiers. It's still a two-hour trip from the IU campus. And uh, uh, so if Indiana is fortunate enough to make it to the final weekend, then uh, fans will still have to make a trip. But, you know, a a great neutral spot, and it'll certainly um, be very interesting to see how it is received because the Big Ten tournament is a marquee event. There's no doubt about it. And certainly hopeful that uh, fans are able to not only tune in on TV, but also attend the games. Finally, talking to you from your office in Bloomington, Indiana. I like to call Bloomington the home of the Godfather. There you go. I said the Godfather. i got to say it at least once per sure. show or broadcast. But, you know, you're in Indiana, recently inducted into the Indiana Soccer Hall of Fame. Chris, come on. That's got to be one of the most amazing things that has ever happened to you, short of the birth of your children and, and your recent marriage. Talk about that experience. I'm so proud of you, my man. Well, thanks, Dean. I, um, I'm, I'm a very fortunate, fortunate guy. I've had a lot of blessings in my life, and um, uh, among them are having the opportunity not only to coach but uh, to be 
in the broadcast booth with uh, class acts like you who helped make me look good. But the the game at the youth level has been important to me for a lot of years. Um, and uh, the work that I've been able to do with the help of so many wonderful volunteers and um, assistants in uh, in Bloomington has been uh, a real joy, and it's something that I'm still involved in. So um, just being surrounded by the right people and uh, trying to steal tricks from them and and move on and and uh, do the right thing. It's it's been a it's been a really great ride. Chris Doran, a member of the Indiana Soccer Hall of Fame, and my broadcast partner on the Big Ten Network, including Sunday, twelve o'clock Eastern, Michigan and Penn State. Chris, I can't wait to see you in the booth on Sunday. You know, you know, I love you. Take care, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thanks for letting me spend some time with you. College soccer on television, college soccer right here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. I want to thank all of our guests, including Alice Ann Wilbur from William Smith, D3, Chris Grassy, Charleston, West Virginia, D2 men, Bo O'Shani, the head men's soccer coach at East Tennessee State, Shelly Smith, the head women's soccer coach at South Carolina, Steve Clements, the head coach at Tyler Community College. What a job he's done at the men's level, Division One. Chad Waller from the NAIA, and you just heard from Chris Doran. For all of them, I'm Dean Linke. Thanks for listening to the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.